Hey, security peeps, we are live with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. And tonight we are here with Federal Career Connections. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. And I'm here with an amazing guest today from FCC, Federal Career Connections, Angela Freeman. Hi, Angela. Hello. So Angela is new to Federal Career Connections. So we have another face from Federal Career Connections, which is fantastic. As you all know, we are breaking into cybersecurity, has partnered with FCC in order to provide you all information when it comes to breaking into federal careers. And we know how important that is um, right now. We have so, so many people who are looking to break into the industry, who have had challenges trying to break in. And, we're, and we know that the federal space has a lot of open opportunities. And so we want to be able to provide you all with um, experts like Angela, who've been in the, in, in the federal space for a very long time. Um, and up into the executive levels, and Angela, in, in a minute, you'll talk about yourself very, you know, briefly before we jump in. Uh, but Angela comes with a wealth of knowledge and experience, and will help us pretty much navigate um, getting into the federal career space. So, Angela, can you share just a little bit of information about some of the work you've done? I read your bio. It is amazing and extensive. Um, but some of the highlights there would be fantastic. Well, I just want to share with your, uh, your individuals that are participating tonight that I would say that I have had a federal career, not just a job. I've had the pleasure of actually serving as an HR professional in every branch of government. I've been with um, the United States Capitol Police when I was a legislative branch employee. I was with the Administrative Office U.S. Courts. I was a judicial employee. And of course, I've been in the executive branch in many different roles. So as you can see, there's a lot of mobility in the government. You can uh, participate and serve in the different branches which only broadens your knowledge and scope. And I'd also like to share that my first federal job was as a student when I was an undergraduate student um, from the great state of Georgia. I worked for the VA and believe it or not, all of that service time counts, even from when I was a student until my full career when I achieved to the executive level. That's awesome, Angela. And you know, it's interesting because I was talking to um, a friend of mine who is a retired, is a veteran, uh, was in the military, and she she made a comment about her husband who has maybe two years left to 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 retire with something like thirty years of service, and he's only I don't know forty five. Like he's he's young, and so I said. How is that? How is he? How is he retiring at thirty years when he's he's only forty five or forty six, whatever it is? You know, like how does that work? How does that happen? And she shared that you know the way that the service is calculated, you can it can go all the way back to I think he was in junior ROTC, JROTC, and he made his way um, through. So he also had a federal career. So it's it's so interesting 
to hear from folks like you all who've been in it since college or high school um, and, and done so many things within your careers in the federal space. So that's really, really awesome. I see some people chiming in here. We like to keep this pretty um, pretty dynamic and live, lively since this is a Q&A. Um, so I'm going to shout out a couple people. Daniel says he is from Georgia. Hey, everyone, Georgia in the house. Hey, Daniel. <laughs> so, so you're from Georgia too, right, Angela? Hi. Awesome. And BB is here. Hey, BB. Nice to see you. Um, anyone else that's here, please shout, shout us out and let us know where you're calling, where you're listening in from or viewing us from. Um, also, before I jump in some more, I have to drop my, my typical, please, please, please follow us on YouTube. So for example, today I was telling Angela earlier, we, um, I posted to YouTube, but for whatever reason, I could not with the, the tool streamer, something was going on with LinkedIn and I was having a really, really hard time posting on LinkedIn. So I definitely want everyone to follow us on YouTube and click the subscribe button so you can get these notices. So if LinkedIn goes awry, we're on YouTube. If YouTube goes awry, we're on LinkedIn. So you know where to find us. Um, Tyrone says, sup Renee, I love how you get such awesome guests that drop knowledge and truth. Yes. <laughs> yes. Angela is here to drop the knowledge and she's from Northern Virginia. Ulysses is here from Washington State. Uh, Charla is tuning in from Chicago. So quite a few folks here. This should be interesting. So folks, be, you know, this is an open forum. We're doing Q&A tonight. We just want Angela to, Angela's going to, like like uh, Tyrone said, drop a lot of jewels, a lot of knowledge when it comes to just breaking into the federal space. And as I was sharing with Angela um, prior to us going live, um, you all know as much. I mean, I'm, I'm learning as I connect with folks on Federal Career Connection, but this is not my area of expertise. So I want to be able to share with you all, the audience, all the cool things about getting how to get into the federal government, how to move around in the federal government, in a federal space um, and, you know, proceed from there. So please, please, please ask your questions. I'm going to kick it off, Angela, and ask, um, you know, you have such a story career. Like you said, you moved around, you started in the VA as a college student. How, what's the, you know, if someone is looking to just break in and they don't know where to start, where to start. I mean, usually we hear like USAJobs.gov, but that is so big and it's kind of almost like go to Monster, go to, you know, it's just like a big open space. What are some recommendations that you have? for people who want to um, get into the federal space? Well, I would recommend that an individual kind of does a self-assessment to say, why do they want to um, work for the government? And it could be mission related. Um, many of the surveys in the government state that individuals work at certain agencies because they are passionate about the mission. I used to work for the Environmental Protection Agency. There are a lot of people who are environmentalists and, and they just thrive in that type of environment. Um, you do want to work for an organization that you're passionate about. I used to work for Homeland Security. I did stand up at TSA. So you could target um, a few organizations that you're interested in and read up about those organizations. If you have your USA Jobs account, set up, 
you would want to do a job search. So when opportunities come up, let's say you're interested in TSA and you're following TSA. So whenever those job announcements comes come up, you'll get a notice every morning, <laughs> one o'clock in the morning, USA Jobs does all the work for you. They'll send you all of the uh, job opportunities from TSA or your desired agency in your uh, field of interest. Also, I would ask that individuals um, look at their uh, background. For example, if it's education, I'm an HR professional, if it's HR, if it's accounting, um, if you want to do um, some work in those areas, you can look at particular agencies that hire those individuals. Um, first of all, I work for a law enforcement agency. I won't name the organization, but of course, if you're interested in law enforcement, you would seek out a law enforcement agency. Um, some individuals like Library of Congress, uh, because of uh, the type of positions. Um, NASA, of course, is gonna have the scientists. Certain organizations have certain fields of study that you might want to follow and pursue. But also I encourage that to set up the USA Jobs account. It is very important to have the USA Jobs account set up. If you wanna learn more about the occupation, for example, the cyber um, job series, generally people look at the 2210, and I'm sure you've heard 2210 for cyber. Um, but there are a lot of other uh, job series that um, have cyber in it as well. So like this afternoon, I went out to USA Jobs and I put um, cybersecurity in one of my searches and I came up with uh, 597 jobs. Um, some of them are Computer wow. engineer, yeah, it can be computer scientist, computer engineer, um, uh, IT, cyber specialist. They're different specialties, but 597 positions, and that's throughout the government, and that's just on a Wednesday. Wow, wow. So almost 600 open positions with the keyword cybersecurity by typing them in there. And like you said, any given Wednesday, um, here we are with all those open roles. And we have a ton of folks that listen to us and view um, uh, this, this podcast and this live stream that want into one of those positions. Um, a question that came in, well, I have a question first before I ask Jason's question. Um, but when you said 2210, is that a, what does that mean? Because for me, I'm, I have no idea what that means when you say a tw you know, 2210. Does that mean it's specific to like, that's the code for cyber? What, what does that mean? Well, I'll try to um, equate it to the private sector. Um, most organizations have what they call job families. For example, human resources is a job family, accounting, um, IT, um, groups of similar jobs. So in the government, it's very similar. I will give a shout out to a technical handbook. If anyone is interested and has the stomach for going on the OPM website, they can go to the um, OPM Occupational Handbook for Groups and Families. And that lists all the federal jobs and they are uh, numbered by job family. So 2210, is generally the IT job series. But I'll share a few other job series with you. 
I need to put my readers on a second here. So computer engineer, cyber, we call it parentheticals with an emphasis on cyber is 0854. Computer scientists with emphasis on cyber is 1550. And those are generally very high graded jobs. Electronics engineer with an emphasis on cyber is 0855. And again, the IT cybersecurity, which is kind of the mainstay position is the 2210. And in the OPM website, you can search by cyber or you can search by job series. You can set your job search up by that series and you can state, of course, um, what location you're in, you know, the gentleman in Georgia, uh, you can state what grade level you're looking for. You know, oftentimes the cybersecurity jobs may be from a GS-12 to a 15, uh, and that would help you get started. That's such That's great, such great uh, um, information. Thank you so much for that clarity, because I know a couple of people like me didn't know what that was. Jason, actually, Jason Parsons, thank you. He put a link here for the GS-2210 um, space, so the general schedule. So if anybody um, has more, wants to do some more due diligence, Jason put the link in there for OPM. Um, Jason also had... He said here, 2210 is information technology management series of jobs, which is what Angela just described. So he was pulling it up as you were speaking or right before. Um, Jason said he is from Michigan. He's in Michigan. He wants to know, Angela, have you been a GS employee the whole time? Do you have any technician time? I don't know exactly when he's speaking about technician time. I have been a GS employee believe it or not, for only a short time of my career. And let me explain. Um, the federal government, primary jobs in the federal government are on what we call the general schedule. And that would be GS-1 to a GS-15. But the beauty of the federal government is that there are many agencies within the federal government that have their own pay systems. And they oftentimes crosswalk or equate to a GS, um, GS being what we call professional, administrative, um, technical, or clerical positions. So if he's asking, have I been primarily in administrative jobs? Um, I have primarily been in GS equivalent. So his reference now is to wage grade. And um, that's what we consider as trade positions, craft positions. Um, wage grade is the pay system. And no, I've never been a wage grade employee. All of this is always brand new to me. Like I said, I was telling Angela before we, we came on live, every single time I have someone on here, I learn something new because I didn't know what wage grade meant, <laughs> what federal tech meant, means. Uh, so this is good. It's good clarity. It's good information. Um, okay, let's go back up here. I know Samuel said he is from uh, Virginia. Uh, Charlotte says, thank you for asking about 2210 and for the clarity, Angela. Um, Daniel wants to know, question, if I'm getting all my certifications, how do I stand out from other candidates that are applying on USA jobs? Great question. Great question, Daniel. And 
I can tell you that certifications rather than, of course, certificates um, do have value in the government. Um, years ago, I was an employee for the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, and they wanted all of us to have professional certifications. They actually paid for them for us. But I can tell you that um, sometimes in a position, they may call out a specific certification, or they may say it's desirable, or they may say it's preferred. So I can't say that the certification will necessarily, um, it, it should make you a, a better qualified candidate. But I would also recommend that, let's say you are selected for a position and you do have a professional certification, that's when you can go to the table and negotiate for what we call superior qualifications, where you can ask to have, be considered for a higher salary because you do have professional certifications. That's great. That's really, really, really good to know. Um, Jason Parsons here says, thank you. He appreciates the response that you provided earlier. And Tyrone has a question. Tyrone says, hey, sis Angela, I was also a student trainee with the feds, but was much older when I started because I made a career change into cyber late in life. I left the feds to get experience in cyber, but I'm now back with the feds working in the cyberspace. My question, how long do I stay in this position before I look to move up a GS grade? I'm a 13 now and soon we'll have a year under my belt. I don't want to job hop, but I also feel I should be looking for opportunities to grow and it cut off, but to grow. <laughs> so, well, I guess one thing I would ask Tyrone is, whether or not he's on a career ladder, uh, meaning that there is another grade opportunity for him beyond the year. Um, some people stay to complete the career ladder because that's um, a career path that's already set up for you. If there is no career ladder and his position is a 13 with no growth potential, I would say that if you're not learning anything new, if you're not being challenged, it might be time to start looking for other opportunities. Um, I was never privileged to be on a career ladder. I actually competed for every job that I got, every promotion. I had to change agencies to get my promotions. Um, but again, you can be fluid in the government. Um, no one is frowned upon for looking for other opportunities. Uh, no one is frowned upon for wanting to have a career. Yeah, he says 13 is the top of his grade. Yeah. Right. So that means he would have to start looking to compete either internally within his agency for other jobs or at other federal agencies. Right. And where he where it cut off for him, where he said he felt like he should be looking for opportunities to grow and be compensated for it. So um, Tyrone, you got to get out there. Yeah. <laughs> looking for other opportunities. And Tyrone is fantastic because he comes on and he shares so much knowledge every single time he's here in our audience, um, just sharing a wealth of knowledge and what he's done and the transition that he's made, which is invaluable for people who are also mid-career, you know, changers. Not everyone is coming here straight from college or straight from, you know, 
in straight from either undergrad or grad or just um, with a lim you know a lower amount of experience many folks are coming with an extensive amount of experience and want to transition in and don't want to go all the way you know to the bottom and start completely from the bottom want to be able to move um, in there so Charlotte says, is there a conversion chart for those with advanced degrees but no federal service or certification? Well, you will see in many of the job announcements where there is an opportunity for substitution for education, for experience. If an individual has a degree, you could substitute your degree for experience. Um, it's generally at, uh, I believe it's seven, nine, eleven um, career opportunities. And what is seven, nine, eleven career opportunities? What does that mean? That, I'm sorry, grade levels. Oh, as okay. far as grade levels. Yeah. <laughs> okay, very awesome. I uh, wanted to just share with the group as well because I I don't know if it was Tyrone's story, but you know I was. I had my first government job as a student, but I was in um, private sector when I first moved to this area. Um, and I came back in the government as a GS5, which is entry level. And I left the government. I went to private sector, built up my skills. I came back into the government as a GS12 with, a, 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 well, a 12 equivalent with a regulatory agency. So a federal career can be fluid. You don't have to sit for 30 years somewhere. You can go in, you can come out. When you come back, you're uh, reinstated. You know, if you've had at least um, three years of career service and you're, but all that service will count and your career can continue. That's so good to hear because I think people may think like, you know, you go in and you don't ever come out. And so that's <laughs> so they're tied to, you know, a lot of folks, I I believe, um, or what I've heard, I don't I don't know about everybody, but from what I've heard, people say, you know, either the federal government salaries are less, or you know, there's a you need a clearance for every role, just all these various things that I've learned over, over the course of doing these are just not true. Um, there are certain roles where you do need clearances. There are certain roles where you do need, you know, certifications, degrees, et cetera. And there are other roles that do not. Um, also, you know, people again may think, oh, I go in and I just sit in that and I, you know, and I get my, do, do they still do pensions? I know at a point in time. You get, a, you get an annuity, yes. <laughs> okay. So it was like, you know, you think about years ago, oh, I go in, do 30 years or 25 or whatever the number is. Um, but it's good to hear about your fluidity, like how you were in and out, how you took private sector roles, you took a break, you know, you came back, you went, you went back in and out. Um, and it probably really made your resume stand out to organizations on both sides because you're able to see both the commercial side and the federal side, which I can imagine is invaluable um, because again, think about somebody like me, I look at this and it's all, what's a GS this, what's a, you know, what's a, what's a wage grade? What are these things? Whereas you can fluidly go from both 
a private to public, which likely is the same kind of situation when it comes to like cybersecurity, where most of the folks and IT as a whole, which is where most of the, you know, this audience is is listening or, or watching for. So that's really, really great info. And Tyrone says, thank you for the answer. And Sharla says, great info. Thank you again. So I agree. Again, always, always awesome information um, here. So one of the things that I tend to, the questions, one of the questions I tend to get often is around clearances. So I just wanted you to, if you could give a high level about, you know, the clearance process, um, what roles or, or, you know, we, we know that all every role in the U.S. federal government does not need a clearance. Are there some areas that they do need them in some agencies like need or tend to have more people who are cleared than others? Is there um, is there a way like if people say, hey, I don't have a clearance, I don't want to go through that process or I, I want to like hedge my bets in another um, in other agencies, does it make sense for them to target specific agencies? Can you share your um, experience over there? Yeah, it's been really varied. I can tell you that I never was required to have a clearance until I think I had probably been at four agencies until I got to Homeland Security Headquarters. And um, my initial position at, at DHS, I was required to have a secret clearance and then I got promoted and I was required to have a top secret. Um, I left that agency and went to United States Capitol Police, which is law enforcement, and I was not required to have a clearance. I left U.S. Capitol Police. I, I went to the Environmental Protection Agency as an SES, and I was not required to have a clearance. So it just depends on the mission, uh, the way they classify their positions, uh, what information you might have access to. Uh, where I work currently, every employee in the agency, regardless of your grade, series, or title, currently we're required to obtain and maintain a top secret clearance. And that's a pretty high bar. I mean, you may have the receptionist. I mean, she doesn't know any secrets. She can't keep a secret, you know, I mean, <laughs> but she has to have a top secret clearance and not only get it, but you got to maintain it, which means uh, credit, any infractions with law and things of that nature, of course, it's going to count against you and you're reviewed every five years. I can just tell you from, um, again, there are certain agencies, primarily law enforcement agencies that are going to require the higher level, highest level of clearance. Um, there's also clearances required, of course, for contractors. Uh, one bit of advice that I will say to anyone who's seeking a clearance, please tell the truth. Do not lie. Do not make up anything. Um, we find that people will apply at FBI and they will tell the truth. And then FBI will not hire them. And then when they come to my agency, they make up a story. Now, we're going to get that report from FBI as well. And we're going to crosswalk those reports. So we may hire you. You may come on interim. But once we get all of the paperwork in, you will be let go. So if you've got some things in your background, just, you know, do do full disclosure. You know, maybe you can explain it. 
you know, kind of thing. Um, some things you can't explain. Uh, I we've seen some cases like, nah, you know, if it's something that if it gets in the, as we say, can it pass the Washington Post? Uh, you can't, you know, we you know, we just can't work with that. You know, thank you very much. You know, kind of, kind of move on. And also, if you know that um, you're someone who does not like to pay your taxes, you know, the government doesn't like that, or you know, keep up with your finances, um, maybe you want to select a different agency. I actually had someone on my team who was forced to retire because she could not pass the um, the recertification of a clearance. Um, she, you know, too much outstanding debt, and. Mm -hmm. As far as length of clearance, it, it, it all depends. Um, um, some agencies allow for interims, meaning we will hire you waiting for the full clearance, but you sign a waiver stating that you know if there's anything in your background that you will be um, terminated um, at that time. Right. I, have, I have waited for employees for 18 months. I've heard. I've heard some employees say, some people say that they, you know, they've waited for a, a pretty long time to get clear to you know, to be able to move forward. But it does sometimes take a, a, a longer time. I have heard that. Um, that's very, very interesting, you know, everything that you've been saying. It's also interesting, though, that people that you said you had someone who put, you know, put the information in when the FBI, in the FBI and then changed it like you guys don't all are connected. It's hilarious. That someone would think like, okay, the background check over here, so I'm going to change this. <laughs> well, you know, it didn't, you know, it didn't fare well for them to tell the truth. So they're like, okay, let me try something different. Let me like, try something else. <laughs> so it just know, means, yeah. so just to clarify, Angela, it means like, you know, tell the truth, just tell the truth. And some agencies may not be as stringent as some others, because some others may, in, like what you just said, in some scenarios, you needed a top secret clearance, and some in some situations, you needed a uh, clear um, secret, and in some, you didn't need any at all. So right. it really just depends, and I'm assuming it depends on the role. And uh, typically, correct me if I'm wrong, the role will say what level of clearance it's looking for, right? Like you need yes, a top yeah. secret. When I see full scope poly, things like that, you know, after working with some of the um, government contractors, seeing like, okay, this role needs this, this role needs that. So you can kind of, if you know, like your situation doesn't align to maybe a top secret type of a type of role, you can kind of position yourself to other roles that don't need that. And Absolutely. Another the job announcement. Yeah, I'm sorry. The job announcement will always tell you um, there's a, a section on clearance. They'll say if it's, you know, if it's just the basic clearance or if it's secret, top secret or the secret compartmental, you know, the highest, the SCI, the highest uh, part of the top secret. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. OK, excellent. So Tyrone says, yes, tell the truth. Even if your decision was based on bad judgment, tell the truth. Even if you were fired from a past position, the background investigation will find out. So that Trust is really me, they already know. <laughs> <laughs> when they go through your 86, they already know. <laughs> <laughs> 
very, very, very extensive background check process. So yeah, folks, it doesn't even make sense because like you said, Angela, even if somehow, some way you slip through the cracks and you find out after the fact, then you're automatically terminated and then, and then you're done. I'm assuming like at that point, you can't even really reapply to anywhere, right? It's definitely not uh, for the current agency, but, um, you know, again, we, we look for, it's just like in discipline, we look for mitigating factors because we need to hire people. You know, obviously, um, uh, for example, I've waited for individuals and some people had to be told, well, you need to get on a payment plan because you, you cannot owe the government taxes. You have to pay your federal taxes. Uh, you need to get on a payment plan. And it, it wasn't funny, but I uh, one applicant said, after you hire me, I will start paying my child support and catch up on my mortgage. And we were like, no, you have to work on that now. You know, so. No, I need a job. <laughs> yeah, he said, after we hire him, he, he think about working on those things. <laughs> Oh, gosh. So funny. Um, okay, awesome. So in terms of, okay, so we did clearances, which is a, a usual standard. Oh, one another comment that you made, I remember, and I think if I remember correctly, Chris, Chris Westbrook talks about this. And for all of you who've been, you know, following us month after month, you've seen Chris on here a few times. She is retired CIA. And I remember Angela, you're saying some agencies, everybody needs a clearance. And I was, I was actually, I think that's what she said in the CIA, like regardless of what level you are, everyone needs a clearance, which I did not, I didn't know that initially. So it was an eye, it was eye-opening for me to hear that regardless of what you do, every single person um, is gonna need one. So like you said, the receptionist that doesn't get any classified information. She's not, uh, you know, her role does not necessarily um, touch this data. She still needs uh, that level of a clearance. So um, Tyler says here, I really appreciate reiteration of the facts. I lost a subordinate when they weren't honest on their SF-86. I've also had contacts that had issues pop up and decided to quit so they could fix their clearance issues so they could be rehired. Wow. That's, so that's really good to know, too. So if they, you know, if it gets to a point where you can't, you know, you feel like you, you're, you're obviously you tell the truth. Everybody already knows. Then you get it fixed and then you can be rehired and come back. Um, so, yeah, I've heard of I've had a numerous conversations because I, I initially thought that, you know, if you had certain situations that it was just curtains for you, like you couldn't possibly get in. And people said, well, not necessarily, you know, you can fix stuff up. Like you said, get on payment plans. If you haven't paid taxes, pay, you know, like just getting yourself aligned so that you are in good standing to be able to make the transition. Um, Charlotte says a former employer ran an FBI check and brought up an old moving violation, which resulted in a warrant. Wow. Over 15 years old. I was thankful to be made aware of it before applying to a federal position. That's good to know because that is unbelievable. And you wouldn't, I mean, sometimes these moving violations, like you forget or you move to a different state or whatever, and then who knows that there's a warrant out there for your arrest based on this one 
moving violation ticket that was 55 or $60 or whatever way back, however, probably even less than that back then, but somehow you forgot or life changes, you know, different things happen and you forget about it. And then that's just lingering out there. Wow. I, I've had employees where we received a call and there was a warrant for their arrest and the employees stated they didn't know. Uh, don't know if they were telling the truth, but um, I was working for the judiciary and some agencies are very strict. I mean, um, that individual, rather than admitting to the circumstances, um, was less than honest. And so we did not mitigate the circumstances. We terminated her. Wow. Wow. And Charlotte says in her situation, it was paid in full. It was an error when the systems were migrated. So that's even more. Can you imagine you're being arrested and you don't even know? You're like, what are you talking about? And then, um, you know, well, I don't know. I've never been in a situation where a warrant was out for my arrest. So I was going to say maybe people didn't know, but I don't know. Because I, you know, I would be completely shocked if somebody said that for me. <laughs> Um, anyway, so this is really, really great information. Um, as Tyler said, re, pre, um, reiterating these facts and telling people, hey, just tell the truth on the application. If it doesn't, you know, if, if you can't work for CIA, no problem, but you'll probably go and work in other organizations um, that don't have such stringent requirements. Um, okay. And Charlotte said, the truth always wins. It is important not to lie. Very true. Daniel says, do you have to have a clean slate to work for the federal government? I really don't know what the definition of a, a clean slate is. I mean, it's like, you know, my doctor says I, I eat too many potato chips. So I, I don't know, you know, what a clean slate would be. Um, again, there are many agencies that do not require um, a clearance. Um, I mean, you just need to just need to know that uh, many of the things that the government focuses on is, are you fit for federal service? Uh, many times that's the focus because we are civil servants. And I, I believe um, Alex spoke a bit about that. You know, our role, we are civil servants. You know, our salaries are paid by taxpayer dollars, meaning that uh, we don't do things to shine a bad light on the organization, you know, on ourselves, you know, that's, you know, one thing that most people will tell you, you know, um, they may have behaved differently, but they know they have a clearance to protect, so. No, that's really good to know. That is definitely good to know. And I think, Daniel, when he said, you know, pardon me, because I asked this question a lot, you know, when it, or I would hear stuff like this, like clean slate, meaning, 17 year old, I haven't been in the world yet. <laughs> like, oh. I, you know, I, I don't have anything, you know, I've just, I've been a student and now I'm moving into my life. I don't, I don't have a credit report. I don't, I, I, I never paid a late bill because I don't have bills to pay, you know, that type of, I'm, I'm thinking that that may be what he means versus someone that has lived and may have had, you know, challenges over the course of their life. Um, so there are a lot of people that are hired in the government that 
have had challenges. I mean, uh, some agencies, um, for example, that are drug testing agencies, um, they know that individuals experiment at a young age, they look at recency, they look at frequency. So no, there, there are no perfect people in the government. That is good. At least I, at least I haven't met them. <laughs> that is really good to know. I apologize if you hear background noise. It is 7.40 p.m. Eastern in my household and all three kids are busy. <laughs> <laughs> so if you hear any outbursts, forgive me, folks, everyone on here, everyone who's been um, most of the time, you know, they, they will see a child occasionally pop up or say something, <laughs> come in the background. Um, so that does happen. So, um, so okay, good. Daniel's question is, is really, um, really interesting because most of the time it's very, very much a lot of clearance related questions like, you know, background checks, clearance, how long it takes, what do I need, or if I have, quote, bad credit or whatever, you know, a bankruptcy, a foreclosure. I remember a lot of people a few years ago when they had that big housing market crash, you know, there were a lot of foreclosures involved in that um, and how that all pans out when it comes to, um you know, clearances and, and trying to break into the federal government. So this is, and I don't, I don't know if student loans, you know, are a part of that. So it's very, very good to know and to hear from you when it comes to um, these types of issues, because it definitely, they come up very, very often for sure. So um, I think we've gotten through almost all the questions that we have here. Um, so standing out, we asked about that. How you stand out when it comes to USA Jobs? I know you said you know do your research and focus, try to focus on a couple of different specific agencies. Um, Angela, you got to the point of SES, which is I know people who are looking to potentially move up the ladder. You know, so after you get out of the scales and then you get to the executive service side, can you talk to us a little bit about like? You know, people who either can can people get hired directly into SES or do they need to start at like a GS level or one of those other levels and then get promoted up? Like, how does that work? Well, I can tell you that. And I, I don't know if it's it's federally required for every agency, but SES positions will generally always be advertised as open to the public. And you know that positions are, that are open to the public are open and available to everyone. And um, also with uh, SES positions, veterans preference does not apply. Um, the OPM process requires that you have, um, that you can meet the, um, the ECQs, the executive qualifications, executive core qualifications, um, as far as leading people, um, um, change management. I mean, there are six ECQs that you would have to be able to display. And many people from the private sector, of course, have done those things because people in the private sector oftentimes have a very broad scope. Uh, one of the um, ECQs that's very hard for federal employees to meet is um, managing a budget. Because in the, in the government, 
few dollars you have, they're squirreled away and the budget people control it. And they, they, they definitely wouldn't let an HR person get their hands on too much of the money. But I can tell you that I actually had a volunteer experience managing a budget. I had been the budget officer for a nonprofit organization, and I was able to parlay that into my ECQs. So when we talk about all experience, it's good experience, if it's, you know, leadership and it's developmental, um, all of that helps. But yes, um, private sector people, people do come in directly from the private sector to um, SES positions. And I would ask that individuals start looking at the ECQs because what you want to do is start focusing your career toward the requirements, leading change, <clears throat> leading people, business acumen, you know, at whatever grade level you are, you can lead change. You can lead people. A GS-13 can be a leader. A GS-13 can lead a change agent, you know, a, a, a lead a program, changes in a program. When I was um, a 12 equivalent, uh, I manage programs across my agency. You need to be thinking in those terms to make sure you're getting experience and exposure in those areas if you're seeking to become an SES. Um, also, there are SES uh, leadership development programs. Um, some agencies will select 14s and 15s where you are put into a program for approximately a year where you're allowed to rotate and develop those skills um, to become an SES. Now, I competed outright um, for my SES. I didn't go through um, a development program, but many agencies have the development programs. And sometimes you, let's say if DHS has an extra slot, you may participate in the DHS program, even though you're not a DHS employee. And many agencies, for example, EPA, their performance management um, plan was based on the ECQs for all employees. Because at EPA, the thought was everybody's a leader, regardless of where you sit. I mean, you can be a GS6 and lead. And that's one thing I wanted to mention too, and I know we're getting a little short on time when we talk about standing out for, of course, you know, I've recruited, but I'm also a recruiter for positions for myself. Um, I like to know from individuals, what do you do to stay current? You know, the last thing I wanna hear about is something that, that you did 24 years ago. I mean, what are you doing now, you know? Are you volunteering with FCC? Are you taking a class online? You know, I mean, it, it can be recently, I just got a certification in mental health from George Mason. It was a free certification. Um, you know, there's so much talk about um, mental health now. I just got a free certification in diversity, equity, and inclusion from the University of South Florida um, that I found out through some networks. So what are you doing to stay current? Um, and also you want to stand out showing, again, kind of based on the ECQs and based on your star story. And I, I think your audience probably knows a little bit about um, telling your star story. You talk about a situation, um, you talk about the action that you took and the results on your resume, 
And then hopefully in the interview, you will speak about a situation. But if you just say, I did a report, I did the annual report, and you know, I made so many widgets, why well, everybody does that, and that's what you're paid to do. But if you can say, I did the annual report, I came in, you know, two months ahead of schedule, and I made some recommendations to cut costs and to save time. And as a result, we had some money left over at the end of the year of the fiscal year, and we were able to purchase some things. Now that's like, wow, I'd like to meet him. You know, wow, that, that person's a real go-getter, you know, or you volunteered for something or you led an effort. Um, you made a recommendation that was accepted by management. You want to stand out on your resume, of course. Um, and if you can quantify the things that you did, it's great. You know, if you can say uh, you reduce time or, you know, technology or you implemented a new program. And then, of course, if you stand out on the resume, then you get a chance to share your story in person on the actual interview. And that's when you can go into your details. But you got to remember, I mean, I can tell you when I was with the DHS headquarters back in the day when they were really hot, you advertise a job and you get 1,200 resumes. Yeah. Whoa. And that's why, you know, some people say, well, why do people only advertise their job for seven days? They must know who they want. I think DHS right now, they only advertise their jobs for six days. It's a workload issue. Okay. Wow. Nobody has enough staff to, to burn through that many resumes and the managers pounding on you saying, we need to fill, we need to fill this job. Well, yeah, but we got 1200 resumes and we got to break them down and look at them and qualify them and rack them and stack them and all that kind of stuff. So um, out of 1,200 resumes, you know, anybody get a, a migraine, you, can, you know, one person's not going to look at all 1,200. But you want to stand out from the crowd, you know, kind of thing. So, again, you know, don't cut and paste from your position description. You know, don't cut and paste from your resume. Um, you want to make it uh, personal. And you want to show where you have actually added value that you've, I, I was told when I became an SCS and I wrote my ECQs, the person that coached me, I wrote my ECQs and then they had someone to review it. Um, the person said, you need to tell a compelling story. He said, it's like a newspaper story. You tell a compelling story about what you did um, and people are saying, I, I, need, I need to hear more. I, I, I really would like to talk to this person. You know, this person accomplished this. Um, she took the extra effort to do an audit and she figured out a way to save money, you know, or reorganize, you know, with her staff or things of that nature. Right, right. Um, Angela, you made such valid points throughout that last um, answer. One of the things that I wanted to reiterate that you talked about was your volunteer experience and using that experience on your um, application. And I talk to people, we do this, we have a weekly breaking into cybersecurity called CISO Thursdays. We bring this up very, very often. At one point we were doing some of these breaking into cybersecurity um, events daily. 
my podcast co-host, Chris Folon, he has something on Friday going on. So we say it very, very often. We talk about the volunteer aspect, and especially with people who don't have experience at all, or they're trying to build experience, or like to your point, didn't have experience in a specific space. So you had all this HR experience, all this executive, but not the budgeting, and you utilize your volunteer efforts and brought in that budget experience or that finance experience from there to use in your application process. So I just wanted to pick out that nugget. I mean, you dropped so many, but that in particular is the one that we continuously, you know, we get the questions, volunteer, what do I do? That kind of a thing. Angela's was perfect. She volunteered in in an organization had a budget, managed it there, and was able to take that experience back. So when we say volunteering, we're not saying, you know, necessarily pick up trash or paint homes or whatever. We are talking about volunteering where you can pick up a skill that you can add to your resume and take that, you know, for your for your next job opportunity. So um, if, I could, if I could just share. Yes. Um, additionally, I can tell you that I had a friend who was looking for a job opportunity. So when I stepped down from the budget position, I offered it to her. I said, this will help you to build your resume. So you will have um, some additional information on your resume. And she was um, in between jobs because when I coach individuals, Oftentimes they have gaps in employment. And I was talking to someone about a week or so ago and they had a military spouse. So they had gaps in their employment because they moved with their spouse. So I asked them, I said, do you have any volunteer uh, experience? And they said, well, I did coach. And I said, okay, so you served in a leadership role and you met with the team and you did this and you had plans and you went over things. So that is something that you can add to your resume because you were serving in a leadership role. You may have implemented things. You may have did some training with them. Um, That is something that's useful because again, we're just trying to close some of the gaps. Right. And I I think it, it, it sometimes is tough because people don't realize that's a transferable skill. So the coaching, you know, they may think, oh, I'm just a coach, but no, the leadership, the planning, the execution, you know. The working team. with the parents. I mean, you know, <laughs> you get the question, you know, how do you deal with people with conflicting ideas about All things? Right. I mean, working with the parents. I mean, maybe you did a fundraiser with as the coach, you know, so you have to be thinking, you know, what's usable to you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And Daniel wanted to ask, how do you find those volunteer opportunities? So I am going to, you know, Angela, you can chime in because I I talk about this all day, every day. So I'll just say I'm with FCC. So that's me volunteering my HR expertise as a part of this organization. Um, I will also share, as you saw in my bio, I'm a member of an international a women's organization. I'm a member of a sorority. I'm on the leadership development committee for my sorority. And I'm also co-chair for the mentorship program. I'm building a mentorship program for my local chapter. So those are leadership and development roles that I could parlay into something else if I needed to. Right.
And what you, another thing that you said um, was to, to, to quantify. So like, for example, Daniel, you know, Angela is a part of her, her sorority mentorship program. She can say, created a mentorship program for 400, you know, women, young women, girls, whatever the case is. And that quantifying also is another thing where it's eye-opening, like, oh, wow, this, you know, this wasn't for two, two kids. This wasn't for two girls. You know, this was for, this was for this chapter of, or, or the students or whatever it was um, of, a hundred girls or how many ever people. And so it's just very, very important to, to be able to do that. And from a volunteer perspective, also, like Angela said, you have Federal Career Connection right here that'd be ready and willing to get volunteers. Um, and then, and specifically in the cyberspace, we talk to people about there's tons of nonprofits that don't have a person to help with their cybersecurity posture. They don't even know what they don't know. So, you know, maybe churches, you know, um, religion, other religious organizations, nonprofits, all that kind of stuff. If you, if you're a part of something already, like I'm always a fan of utilizing, you know, starting where you are. So if you're in, you know, you're, you're, if you're a part of the parent teacher organization, whatever it is, and then they need someone to help with cyber, you can be the go-to person, you know? Full disclosure, I was the budget officer for five years for my church. There you go. See? You can get Baptists to agree on money. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's the real experience. (laughs) Sorry about that, guys. That's the real experience right there. But there you go. You know, the church, anything that you're already in, see how you can utilize the skills that you have and volunteer in those spaces. And then if you can't, or if you're not, then other areas could be like ISACA, all the, you know, like the the cybersecurity organizations that we're already a part of. Um, Many of you are a part of, you know, ISACA and um, there's many, many, many others. We know all these volunteer organizations and nonprofit organizations specifically in security. I'm Um, sorry, are are there like associations, membership association for for cybersecurity? Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about. So ISACA is one, I can't remember, it's I-S-A-C-A. I don't, I can't remember what it stands for, Um, but there's, there's dozens, if not hundreds of them. Um, that people can participate in. They always need volunteers. They're always looking for help. So um, Daniel says here, I was literally about to ask for religious organizations. Like, yeah, religious organizations, nonprofit organizations. Nonprofit, yeah. They always are looking for help, board members. I mean, they just look for people. If you want to volunteer and lend your area of expertise, they are just so grateful for that. Um. Okay, so we are almost at the top of the hour. We're at the end. You see how fast this went, Angela? Tons of great questions, everyone. Thank you so, so much for coming, for um, participating, asking these great questions. Angela, do you have anything, any last minute words of advice? You know, if you had a couple of things that you wanted to share with the audience before we leave, what would you say? would just say to individuals, uh, I know we had a webinar last night and, and some people had, you know, uh, the, I think the question was, what do you 
think about when you think about government and some people said low pay and bureaucracy and, and things of that nature. And that's probably some of that in private sector too, because I used to be HR for the private sector before uh, when I dipped out of the government and came back in. So um, I, I was in um, uh, HR in the private sector, but I can tell you that I have found my government career, and I say that I have had a career, not just a job, and I had to make it myself. I moved from agency to agency. I took on challenges. Um, I was always learning. I completed my master's degree um, while working for the government. I completed three professional certifications, um, and I feel that I'm well-versed and that I bring a lot to the table. And when I was not being compensated and recognized for my value, I moved on. I considered myself a free agent. And I never set out to be an SES. I never, you know, some people like, oh, oh, oh. I, I never set out to, to be an SES, but I was just diligent in my work and I've kept my networks open. And now I am trying to just pay it forward with others. And the question was, what sorority? Uh, just tell them to guess. You see the pearls? <laughs> <laughs> Tyrone, you're supposed to know these things, sir. <laughs> oh, Tyrone said, what sorority? AKA Delta Zetas. <laughs> name them all. <laughs> and Steph, my dear Steph, the person who introduced me to Federal Career Connection is Steph Marsh. She says, thank you for sharing. Thank you so much, Steph, for having, bringing me to this awesome organization. So before I go, I like to just shout out, re-shout out Federal Career Connection. So I, it's tagged in the, in the LinkedIn please go connect with Federal Career Connection. They have, um, is it twice a month you have speakers right now? Right, right? now it's twice a month, yes. Twice a month, there are speakers. Um, and twice a month, people are coming on, uh, executives, experts will come on and talk to um, an audience specifically about the federal space. And there's so, so, so many topics so please, please, please connect with Federal Career Connection. Go on their LinkedIn page, sign up for all their stuff. Just like I say, subscribe to us and the YouTube channel. Please go and subscribe to Federal Career Connections and all the awesome um, programs that they have going on. BB Hamid says yes twice a month. Think, okay, so this is a perfect example before I go because it's 8.02 p.m. Eastern. Um, BB found out about Federal Career Connection right here on this podcast, on a LinkedIn, volunteered, and voila, you know, she's, she, you know, decided to reach out and is now a volunteer for um, Federal Career Connection. So it's that easy. You see um, something that you like, if you're here and you're excited and want to learn more and get involved, it's an easy, easy, easy way to get involved. So Angela, people are saying, thanks, Angela. It's very informative. That's what BB said. Tyrone, sorry, he didn't see the pearls. <laughs> Wonderful information. He says, thank you so much. Um, uh, Tyrone, black and old gold from 06. <laughs> so he's here. He's one of your peeps. Um, 
So let's see here. Wonderful information. Steph says we're all connected. So yes, thank you all so much. My kids are getting louder and louder. So I am going to shut this live stream down (laughs) and I will see everybody tomorrow. So make sure for me, you come here tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern time, Cecil Thursdays. We're going to have James Azar, Chris Folon, um, the Naomi Buckwalter and me, and we'll be talking about whatever hot topic happens between tonight and tomorrow or the hot topics of the week. So we'll see you tomorrow for CISO Thursdays. And thank you again, Angela Freeman, for your expertise. You're amazing. Thank you so, so much. And I hope you come back and join us again. Yeah, and Renee, I wanted to say to you, welcome to FCC as a board member. Yes, thank you. Super excited to be a board member at FCC. So um, I look forward to all that we have planned or will be planning um, in this year and the years to come. So super excited for that. Thank you so much. All right, everybody, have a good night. Take care. Thank you.